just I would ask you to excuse us because we're going to head off very quickly after the meeting because we have to go to the celebration of someone's life who passed away a week ago and we have to go I, uh, I married this lady to her husband many many years ago she's uh, she was about our age so she's gone fact, we've lost some of our friends a number of them over the last two or three weeks one of our close friends in Australia in the church where we lived there and he's gone he had cancer Hazel was able to be in Perth a few weeks back and went down and she saw him among others and he was one who chose not to have treatment he had terminal cancer and with the agreement of his wife and his children and he's gone home very quickly and uh, so we go to and I was of course thinking of my this friend of ours she was a leader's wife uh, in Reading where we're going straight from this meeting and uh, you know to be born is a wonderful thing isn't it uh, just to be born <laughs> you know the, the the mother goes through her travail and the little one that's in the womb locked up and enclosed in the, in the bag of water and the waters break and the little one comes forth into the air, into the creation, and it's, it's into a new life. And that's wonderful. You n- you'd never thought of your birth like that. <laughs> but, uh, but it was a doorway into paradise. Paradise marred by sin. That's what your birth was my birth and it happens some of you let's think uh, is Joel here yes he was he was born in Peru right I've always wanted to go South America can you arrange it uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I'll tell you a little story about South America because how God works and protects you we had a very dear friend named Jackie Jackson And she was a missionary with Wycliffe translators, Bible translators. And she was was ministering among an Amazonian tribe right way, way, way in the interior. And she wanted me to go down uh, to meet this tribe and minister in this tribe. She'd learned their language and uh, it was one of those tribes that sort of killed one another and God had begun to work amongst them and she arranged for another missionary couple who were not in the interior would go down with us and we would go down on the uh, on the ferry on the Amazon hundreds of miles up river and it was all arranged and I had booked my flights to Brazil and uh, it was in the days of snail mail, no emails, uh, no electricity out in the village anyway. And um, 
in my heart, I felt so uneasy. So uneasy. She had written and said that we were booked on the ferry. It was going to be three days. Uh, big ferry down the river. And uh, I felt so uneasy. And in the end, just a few weeks in advance, I wrote to her. And I said to her, I, I'm not coming. I don't know why, but I feel so unhappy in my spirit about going. And God just... So I knew she'd be disappointed. And a few weeks later, after the date, she wrote back. She wrote a letter to me. And she said, I'm so glad that you wrote because we cancelled the trip. That very ferry that we were booked on that very day that we would have been on it sank with 300 people losing their lives. God protecting. You see, God watching over us, Jackie, the other couple. Who can explain these things? That's why it's so vital that you listen. <laughs> uh, next week, I think it is, I shall be speaking and being interpreted into Spanish, in, uh, not in South America, but in Mexico. And uh, we will be among people there. And um, that's the nearest I've got to South America <laughs> and the Brazil trip that was cancelled. But it's very good to come under the disciplines of the Lord Jesus, to learn to hear his voice, to be attentive to him, to obey and it is very interesting, you're not interested in the Greek language particularly, but I learned Greek years ago. And uh, one of the things in the New Testament, it's written in uh, Greek originally. And the word for hear, the word for be attentive, and the word for obey are all connected in the Greek language. They all have the same root, to listen, to hear to obey, to be attentive. They all have the same root. And it's wonderful to, for you to begin to learn to be attentive to the Lord. Now I want to just take three verses this morning and look at them. And I also want to encourage you younger parents. I'm going to begin with another verse which is found in 1 Corinthians 15. And you can, you can look at this verse. I think it's 1 Corinthians 15. I haven't checked this up. <clears throat> Let me see if I've got it right. If not, someone can go onto their, their um, app and find it. But the verse says this, First, that which is natural then that which is spiritual. It is in 1 Corinthians 15. All right, 1 Corinthians 15. And does it say somewhere down here, if we follow down the chapter, it's in verse 46. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. 
then the spiritual. Now I just want to apply it, and this, those two words, I just want to apply it for you young parents. One of your tasks is to bring your children into obedience, into an under-discipline, naturally. And you must remember that this takes work. And you are not doing it simply to have a calm house, but you're doing it so that naturally they've learned to be attentive, to be obedient to authority. And it will be easier for them later when God the Father speaks to them because they've learned to respond to authority. Uh, when I was younger, I was in something called the Boys' Brigade. And uh, before that, I was in something called the Life Boys. How many of you have heard of the Boys' Brigade? And uh, it's changed nowadays, of course. In my day, which was in the 50s, um, when I was in the Boys' Brigade, we had a captain who actually was a Christian, but was an ex-sergeant major in the guards. And I can remember as a boy, we, we had a uniform and we had to come under discipline in the boys' brigade. I can remember spit and polishing my shoes, my boots. Takes time. I could see my face in my shoes. I used to spit and polish my belt, shine everything. I learned to march. We won competitions. Often we marched in the Albert Hall, won competitions countrywide because he was so, such a disciplinarian, you can imagine. He had, you know, he, was, he included the moustache, all right? He was a redhead. And uh, he was a fiery character. But I knew that he kind of loved us in the midst of it all. And of course, never used first names. How oh, behave yourself. And I used to, in those days, play the drums in the band. Snare drum. And also played the bugle. And we had a, a bandmaster... And uh, I decided that he wasn't much of a musician. <laughs> and on one occasion, I swore at him and I got demoted. I was a sergeant by then and I got demoted. <laughs> I'm not advocating swearing at your bandmaster, but I was uh, rebuked big time learning discipline. So that something, and I thank God for, for the times where I had to rein myself in under authority. And I was looking this morning, just thinking these things, I looked at my shoes. We lived in Toronto, uh, Canada, uh, for a number of years. And I looked at my shoes and it reminded me, because I bought these 
You might not know that in Toronto it gets very, very cold, lots of snow in the winter, and underneath the central part of Toronto there are little walkways, quite big actually, with stores and shops. There's five kilometers of walkways so that office workers can walk in their shirt sleeves between their offices, go down uh, underneath, eat lunch, go into the lunch bars, into the restaurants, go and do their shopping. There's even supermarkets down there and so on. And uh, I, I bought these shoes there years ago. And of course, they're heated. It's heated down, down below. And the heat rises up. And there are these grids in the streets above. And the heat comes up. And if you were to go to Toronto in March or February or January, we, you would find the, the homeless lying there on these grids, keeping warm on... on, uh, on um, cardboard and maybe if they'd managed and one of the things our church did we'd go down there and we would try and give food to these sorts of people and so on and one day Hazel and I were walking along and Hazel said to me uh, Bernard how did they get there that was her question and I said quite spontaneously gradually Gradually. Not suddenly, gradually. And that gradual descent is to do with the lack of discipline so often. Some rebellion to authority. Some, uh, you, many of you would never have heard of the seven deadly sins, the first of which is pride. Well, one of the deadly sins is sloth or sloth, they would say in North America. Just, I can't be bothered. I can't be bothered. I just can't be bothered. I can't be bothered to clean my teeth this evening. I'm tired. I can't be bothered to floss. I can't be bothered and, and then you end up, I can't be bothered to uh, uh, cook fresh veggies for my children. <laughs> I can't be bothered. I will just give them what they want. I just want to tell you that God is a father who can be bothered. Who can be bothered enough to bleed and die in the person of his son. And I want to encourage you because this is against the trend of our age. This is against the trend of the worldliness that we live in the midst of all the time. Let them have what they want. Now, God will not let you have what you want. He will not let me have what I want. He will give me what I need. What is good for me. He will bring me, and so the verses, and remember that you are doing something for the natural of your child so that when the spiritual comes, when the Lord speaks, 
they will rise up and follow. And uh, this is implicit in the fact that when the Lord called the disciples, they are called disciples, taught ones, learners, those under his loving discipline. So here's, here's the verses, the three verses that for half an hour I will concentrate on. They're found in the book of Matthew at the end of chapter 11 and probably everyone in the room knows these three verses or most of you. Of course, uh, Jesus was living among people and you must understand this, that Jesus is either, there's no middle ground in this, he's either the biggest fraud and crook that ever lived, or he is what he says he is. That is important that you and I grasp. He's either the biggest liar, or he's the great expert who knows exactly what he's saying and is not pulling punches he lands his punches hallelujah because he loves us and I know that he's the truth so we're going to read some words that he said and this is his explanation of what's happening in your life. This is his explanation of the secrets of life, all encapsulated in three verses. So verse 25 of Matthew 11. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father. So he's talking to his Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the university professors. You know, the elite who think they know it all, there are some humble university professors who know that they only know the edges of their subject. That's one of the reasons why I know the pop atheist whose name is Richard Dawkins is not really much of a scientist because true scientists are humble. They know they're only touching the edge and the fringe of their discipline, just the same way as a musician. A real humble musician knows he doesn't hardly know anything. Just scratching the fringe. It's an amazing thing. Thank you that you've hidden these things. So understand that if you are an arrogant young woman or an arrogant young man, or proud in this way or that and so on, the things that God wants you to really know will be in a cloud and mist. 
you won't, you won't know them. They will elude you. Even if you're theologically trained, I have sometimes met theologically trained young men. I'm thinking of someone far away in another country who comes to mind. He is utterly brilliant. Utterly brilliant. And yet, there are things of God's Spirit he knows nothing about. And they're obscured from him because of his reliance upon his great personal brilliance. And they're hidden from him at this time. At this time. You remember? Notice I say that God is working and not finished with him. Hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and he revealed them to infants. Infants. Oh, blessed naivety and teachableness of infants. Amen? Will you let the Lord lead you into a proper infancy? where you are able to let him take away all of that accumulation of knowledge that you've got that's made you cynical, that's made you disappointed. Because those of us who are older, you know, we accumulate experience. That's one of the things. I want to tell you all this. I believe that Jesus never had an ulterior motive that he came and simply loved people. And I want to encourage you, love your colleagues at work. Love your neighbour. Love them. Love them, but not with an ulterior motive of getting them saved. Just love them. Just love them. For this world is full of, where's the catch? What are you selling? Oh, you're selling religion, are you? I was quiet in the house the other day and I uh, heard a ring at the bell. I thought it was Hazel come back from the paradise of shopping called Little. And... Uh, and uh, it wasn't, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't Hazel and it was two people at the door and I knew that they were J-dubs. And I really didn't have time for that. So I closed the inner door <laughs> and hid myself till they went. <laughs> I, I've, <laughs> you know, and the, I, I noticed later Hazel turned up and I went outside to help her get the shopping in and uh, I noticed that they were with our neighbour next door. She's an elderly lady named Annie. And, uh, you know, she, I met her later in the day and she said, oh, she said, uh, did the, the JWs knock at your door? And I said, uh, yeah, but I didn't answer. She's, and I said, I, I've really spent a lot of time with them in times past and I really didn't have time today. She said, well, I talked with them. We, I said, I, I noticed it, about 20 minutes you had with them. She said, yes, they've got to do it for their salvation. She's not a Christian. 
They've got to do it for their salvation. They've got to go around the doors. They've got to do this and got to do that. She knew enough, and they're people under discipline. (laughs) But it's not the right sort. You understand what we're saying. We accumulate knowledge. We accumulate things in our lifetime. We accumulate false ideas, and we've got to become like little children. That's what Jesus said, because the Father is looking. And that's one of the things he leads us to. He leads us to the childlike dependence. And then Jesus goes on and he says, Yes, Father, this was well-pleasing in your sight. Verse 26. This is the way you wanted to do it, Lord. To make us like little infants. You know, if you told a little kid, really, a little tiny, that the moon was made of cheese. Oh, if they're sophisticated, they might say, is it cheddar? (laughs) But but you know what I'm saying? They'd actually believe. It's wonderful. Little children are such a delight, aren't they? Such a delight. Little tinies. Anyway, then Jesus says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Now, I just want to focus on those few words Do you realize that the Son wants to reveal to you the Father? Now, Jesus is going to talk about rest in a minute. He's going to talk about rest. He's going to talk about rest twice in the next couple of verses. But do you know that the context is, I know that you will find rest as Jesus reveals to you the Father your father. That's why Jesus moved in rest. He preached in rest. He loved in rest. He moved among enemies in rest. He was unhurried. He was living utterly in rest. He wasn't busy and yet he was busy. But when he was busy, he wasn't busy. You know, he wasn't intensely driven by, by the needs of people. He wasn't a man uh, who was living in his humanity, sort of, I've got to do this by five o'clock. He just was, he was content to sit on a whale, tired. He was content to go at his father's pace because he was living in rest. All true ministers minister from the place of rest. All true ministers. And that's one of the things that the Lord has to lead us into. The unhurried place. The place of tranquility and peace. But, you know, uh, Jesus says that the Father wills to reveal the Son. And the Son wills to reveal the Father. In other words, underneath everything, there's a wonderful will. 
Does anybody, uh, have you read recently of the research that's been done by the BBC over the last few months of the loneliest generation in England and in the British Isles? They are the 16 to 25-year-olds. So many of them without the attention of their parents. So many of them able with their uh, Facebook and snap this and, you know, <laughs> bite the other. and <laughs> Snap and bite, I'm thinking of crocodiles because some, you know, some of those things, they're, they're really crocodile-like. <clears throat> anyway, they're there. You see, they're lonely because we are made for person. Oh, give me your face. You know, give me your person. Do you, you understand? Do you, do you understand what I mean? Give me your presence. I mean, some of you, even this morning, are hardly here. I mean, it's one of the things I've learned from my wife through the years. She is not even thinking about getting on the plane on Tuesday to fly to the other side of the world. She's here. She's with you. I see this everywhere we go. She gives herself, so if there's a ladies' meeting, and she will remember you, and she will write down your names on her little bit of paper, and from time to time she will pray for you and try and retain, because she's present. We need persons, not holograms. We need your face, your presence, not just some uh, note on Facebook. Those things help a little bit, but we need, and, the, and Jesus says, my Father wills to reveal the Son, and I will to reveal my Father. There's a mutual revelation. You understand, he doesn't say educate you about the, the uh, attributes of God. Education is insufficient in divine things. Bible knowledge is insufficient. It is revelation. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And the Son came down here, our Lord Jesus, to do a glorious work in our lives, to reveal the Father. And hallelujah, as you, the more you know your Father and His love and His goodness and His will and purpose toward you, you will rest. You will rest. You will rest from all your striving and all of when the more you know your father, you will know that he looked down and in his son. Let me tell you, if it had been in the economic determinations of God, your heavenly father would have died on the cross. It was in there a divine arrangements. 
that it was the Son who died on the cross. But as far as the Father was concerned, he was there. And as far as it would have been possible, and it wasn't possible, the Holy Spirit would have died on the cross. This is our God. A God of three persons who are of one. And when one does something, the other two, if we may put it that way, are 100% with them. Hallelujah. This is why to get the know, to know the Father's heart and Jesus' great work in you, and he's still doing it for me, he's revealing his Father. And the more I know the Father, the more I come to rest. And the more I am able to share with authority. I'm not a theorist. Hallelujah. So when Jesus says this, let it sink into you. I will to reveal my Father to you. That's what Jesus says to you. You say, but I'm a nobody. I'm, I live in a little tiny house in Orpington and I've made a mess of my life. It is Jesus' will to reveal his Father to you. But I haven't got much money. The pension hardly goes far enough. And I've still got trouble with fags. Uh, I mean cigarettes. <laughs> I'm not talking about other kinds. But you, you under, I've still got trouble with this or that and the other. The, Jesus wills to reveal his Father to you. He wills to take the veil away so that you see more and more his Father and come into the rest. Oh, it's... Do you know the most sublime thing that you can ever know is the thing that Jesus, when he gave his testimony, and they questioned Jesus in John's Gospel. It's one of the reasons why you've been given John's Gospel, because it gives you the inside track on Jesus' manhood. And he says, my father loves me. My father loves me. That's the most sublime thing you can ever know. My Father loves me. And that means, of course, the more you are loved by the Father, the more you get involved in his work, in his mission in the earth. God is the evangelist. Always remember that. God is the outreacher. The Father is the one, and he's about his business. Didn't you know I must be about my Father's business? Jesus said when he was 12 years old. My father's business. What's your father's business? Oh, my father's business is revealing who I am. And what's your business, Jesus? My business is revealing who the father is. <laughs> because, oh, the bliss of the father and the son living together in eternal joy. Do you know the whole thing is birthed in this? You know, God says, the father said, to the Son, let's bring some other beings. Let's make them in our image and bring them into our life, shall we? Yes, said the Son, and amen, said the Holy Spirit. Yeah, let's do it. Hallelujah. So that they can be in our family. Oh, <laughs> uh, all shall be well. 
That's what the Father will say to you. All shall be well. But it's not very well at the moment. Things are a bit difficult. All shall be well. Do you know that's what the Father says to the Son every day? Of course, to them there is no day in that sense. All shall be well. We're working towards our end. You see, the Father revealing the Son to you? Oh, wonderful. What a day. You know, when you heard of Jesus and somehow you began to see that Jesus is... Who made you begin to see that Jesus is God, Saviour, great, Lord? It was the Father working. And then as you received Jesus and responded and been walking with him, he said, have a look at my Father. And then Jesus says these three words. The first one is what's called in grammar an interjection. Come! It's not even a verb. In grammar it's called an interjection. Come! Unto me. These are words you know very well. Come! Come now! That's what it basically means. Now come now! It doesn't say once you've sorted yourself out a little bit. This is what's so wonderful. And you must remember that tomorrow morning at work, when you've uh, perhaps missed the mark on something, do you understand that Jesus says to you, come now, when you as a mother uh, sort of are just about tearing your hair out because the kids are driving you crazy, come now. No, I mean it, I mean it. This is one of the great secrets of life. Come now. Come now in the thick of it. Come now in the accident. Come now in the sorrow. Come now when the car's all smashed up and there's two people dead in the, in the car and your own father's dead. We know all about this. Come now. Come now, he says. Come now. He doesn't say, get yourself sorted, Bernard. Think straight. Come now. Come now. It's an interjection. He interjects. Come now to me. Hallelujah. Oh, it's so simple, but it's so complicated. But you, you fathers know this. Your child is, uh, you know, fallen off the bike. Now I understand why all the, the girls wanted to come take their bike. Can we take our bikes? Yeah, now I understand they can all ride round and round. And probably at least once a kid sort of falls off its bike, it's all scratched up, and it runs, doesn't it? If it can get up, it runs to dad or mum straight away. It comes. But we're too, I don't know, we're, we're too complicated, you know, and we say, oh, he doesn't want us, but he wants you to come now. When you're falling off your bike. No, I mean it. When you're wake up, wide awake at night and you can't sleep. And when you're remembering things from the past that, are, that almost cripple you. He says, come now. This is Jesus. This is our God. 
He doesn't say, get yourself sorted, man. Get yourself sorted, woman. Get yourself sorted, little girl. Come now. Come now when you're doing the washing up or feeding the black hole of the dishwasher. You know, or the black hole of the washing machine and then it goes. You know, and you're fed up with it. Come now. I mean it, I mean it. It's the simple things where we go wrong. And then Jesus says, Another word here that you know so well. Come now, he says, unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And it is immediate. This is one of the things that I have discovered. When you come, there is an immediate sense of, you can't explain it, rest. And then he says this to you. Take. Lift up. Take. My yoke upon you. Take. The Greek word is lifted up. You'll have to bend down to get this. You'll lift up the yoke. Take. Not your own yoke, my yoke upon you. Now I know that many of us didn't realize that Jesus was yoked to someone. He was, everybody here knows what a yoke is, don't you? Probably you know that a yoke is really shaped like a cross, the very simple basic ones. You've got two, two creatures, they may be bullocks, water buffalo, whatever in India, water buffalo. How often I used to walk in Indian places and walk along. I remember when one of the brothers was with me and he had dysentery, poor guy. I managed to get him on to the, we were going to a village. I managed to get him on to the bullock bandy. And he's laying there and I've got my little spoon with the levels on it with sugar. You know, you fill a little spoon up with salt and then the next level with sugar, the next bit with water. You make sure that all this sort of stuff. And he's crying out. He said, oh, I'm dying, I'm dying. No, you're not. All you've got is dysentery, brother. Keep on. <laughs> but there's these two beasts of burden going along and I happen to know enough about these things where you've got two beasts of burden, one of them is the lead beast. Always one of them is the lead beast. And they're in the oak together and it's strapped across their shoulders and it's attached to the bandy and if you brought the yoke up, it's shaped like a cross, like this. And they're bound to the oak and there's the lead one and the companion and Jesus says, I, I, I want you to take my yoke on you. Who was he yoked to? Who was the lead animal in, the, in Jesus' yoke? Not him, his father. And he's yoked. And he says to us, he says, come and take my yoke. Come and be yoked with me to my father. Come and yoke, be yoked through me and with me to my father, to my father's will. I tell you, 
right from the beginning. This is what's so wonderful. You become yoked through Jesus to the Father and what the Father cares about is what you care about increasingly. It's, a, it's his business you're about, you're yoked. And he says, come and take the yoke. If you want to interpret it as the cross, take the fact that you are to embrace the life of being under and with Jesus and the Father and with others who are walking the pathways of sacrifice. You're not here for you, you're here for others. He came for others. And now, men, in the process of serving others and loving others and being in the yoke, you yourself are changed. Simple. This is so come now, come now. Next thing, take, lift up the yoke. Take my yoke. Don't choose your own one. Oh, this is a terrible cross for me. I'm looking after my mother. You know, I've been sacrificed. You know, we left Australia chiefly to look after my mother. My sisters wouldn't look after her. We came back from Australia and we lived up in the Colchester area mainly looking after mum for three years. She had terminal cancer. It was no sacrifice. We had in some ways fun together, didn't we, dear? It was the first time in my life I went in supermarkets wonderful of course you know what happens you put all the stuff in that you really shouldn't she complains but <laughs> you see I'd always been too busy but now you know it's, it's wonderful to, to be yoked with Jesus in the sacrificial life in the pathway of laying down your life for others opening your home to others if they will come. Some people take a long while to enter the open door of your heart and your home because where's the catch? Where's the catch? What are you trying to sell? I'm only wanting to love you. You see, we live in this horrible world. And then Jesus says a third word doesn't he? These are two verbs. I said that the first word, come now, is an interjection. The second word, take, is a verb. Can anybody give me a nice English lesson? What is a verb? A verb is a doing word. Do you remember that at school? It's a doing word. Amen. (laughs) Take. Go on, do it. And the third word is learn. Learn of me. Learn. Ah, wonderful. Learn of me. Come, take, learn. You can't learn before you take. You've got to take the yoke and come under it. With him, there is no loneliness in the yoke. You're yoked with him. Amen. 
And with him, oh, you'll find he's the lead animal. Can I put it that way? You know, and it's, oh, it's amazing. He teaches you to love. He teaches you to serve. He teaches you to believe. He teaches you to trust. He teaches you to rise up and uh, move on uh, despite your own failures. He teaches you. Come now. Take up the cross. Learn of me for I'm meek and lowly in heart. Oh, wonderful Jesus. Wonderful Jesus. Now, I've always found him like this. I haven't found men like this, but I've found, you know, my old dad used to say to me, because he was a terrible preacher, but he was a leader of a church. He was an awful preacher. Never could preach. Dear old dad. He said, Bernard, stop pointing. Because every time you point, you've got three fingers pointing back at yourself. That's what Dad used to say. You know, Bernard, anyway, I won't say, but it's, it's very wonderful. But one of the things that you'll find about Jesus, he'll never say to you, you stinking sinner. You'll say, come to me. I love the story of Francis of Assisi. No one knows whether it's true. Do you know who Francis of Assisi was? Where did he live? Assisi. (laughs) Where's Assisi? It's in Italy. Beautiful. Do you know he was a rich young guy? He was a womanizer. He was wealthy. His, his, his dad ran a big textile business. And then God began to get hold of him. And dear old Francis, and well, he wasn't old, he was young. His dad said he was a fool. Everybody said he was a fool. He said, I want to serve the Lord. I want to serve the Lord. And it came to the place where he, the bishop, he wanted to go into sort of, well, of course it was Roman Catholicism because that's all there was. And he wanted, and the bishop said, well, you can't do that. This, it's a bit too far. And in the end, do you know what? Francis he took his clothes off and, and paraded around in his underwear in, in, to get the attention of the bishop and so on. He did it in, in, the, in the main square of Assisi. Great guy, eh? He was fundamentally, you know, <laughs> he was determined to please the Lord. And, as it, and the Lord said, build my church. And he was just like a little infant. Build my church. So he didn't know what that meant. So he found that just out of town, there was this broken down church. So he, 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 he got hold of cement and this and that and the other and stones. And he began to rebuild this, this, this building because he didn't understand that God meant people. So he just started building. Isn't that a lovely, sweet, infant naivety of the obedient, disciplined young man. But he had a big blockage. This is the bit that nobody knows whether it's utterly true or not, or whether it's myth. He had a big blockage because the Lord gave him a great love in his heart for people. And he went out to people, and he went out to people. And he came to a stage, 
And there was one kind of person, and they were quite a lot of them around lepers. I don't know whether you've ever been in a leprosarium. I have a number of times. And where the disease has eaten away their faces and their lips, and oh, it's horrible. And he just said, oh, I can't love a leper. I can't. And he had no, no peace in his heart. No, his conscience was troubled for months and months and months until at last he took up that, you know, cross identified with Jesus and he was determined that he would obey. And he was walking along and he found <laughs> right in his room was a terrible leper. And he went to him, he ran to him and he picked him up in his arms and he hardly had any lips or nose and he kissed him on his mouth the leper, and, and held him and surrounded him with his cloak and he carried him. He was going to take him home, look after him. And he said, he, he, the story goes that he looked down after he'd been carrying him, he found, he looked down and everything went light. The burden became light. And he looked down and instead of a leper being in his arms, he saw the face of Jesus. See, that's the strange thing. It, uh, a, nobody knows whether the story is true. But it's the sort of thing that I can well believe because this is what you discover, the power of the Lord to get in the yoke with him and serve and the thing most difficult becomes Jesus to you. More of Jesus to you. Come, come now. Take, learn of me. And dear Francis, learned of him. I love the story of St. Francis. I loved, I've read a number of his histories because, you know, he, he was a catalyst. Many leaders are simply catalysts. And there was, he was a reformer. God moved in a fresh way. Poverty, chastity, these were the things, and they loved, and they went out all over the place. And do you know what happened to him 20 years later? Some of his followers took over the work and rejected him. And he, he didn't close down. He just learned of the Lord. He, he took this aspect of the yoke of rejection and went on with the Lord. Praise the Lord. And he went and on and on and on, learning. Learn of me, I'm meek and lowly. And I. He never fought back, he never claimed position. Praise God, learn of me. He learned and learned and learned. And if you've ever heard of it, you read a little book called The Flowers of St. Francis. Beautiful things. If ever a man knew Jesus, he did. Praise the Lord. <laughs> So those are my three encouragements to you. Come now, take the yoke, learn of me, and you will find rest to your soul. So I'm going to say to you, come on, respond to him. Respond to him. Now if God has spoken to you in any distinct and definite way this morning, you come to me because I'm in the yoke. Not my yoke. 
come and let's pray together. <laughs> That's all. I don't want to 